Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on this latest episode of the First Word Podcast. My name is Alex, and I'm here with my co-host, Mike. And we are excited for this episode, although, unfortunately, the guest we had booked got sick this morning and was unable to join us. Uh, and as much as I tried to find a last-minute guest to join us, we couldn't pull that off. Um, as it's the holiday weekend and everyone's very busy flying places and getting ready for the relaxation and disconnecting from the world of uh, the internet, I guess you'd say. So anyway, it's just Mike and I today. I hope you still listen. Um, we're going to have a good conversation about Star Wars, the rise of Skywalker. Um, this cycles us all the way back to the beginning of the First Word podcast. Our very first episode was for The Last Jedi. Um, which we, uh, as those who've listened know, started this podcast because Mike and I are Star Wars geeks who constantly chat and text each other about Star Wars all the time, theories and everything, and decided to turn that into a podcast. So now we're coming, uh, I don't want to say full circle because this isn't, this isn't the end of the podcast, but full circle from the original episode to be able to discuss this grand finale of The, the Rise of Skywalker. Um, so with that said, uh, a, a slight... Um, Side discussion before we get deep into Star Wars for those uh, interested in hearing what we have to say. We want to talk about Tenet, the new Christopher Nolan movie um, scheduled for release. I think it's July 2020, his usual summer spot. Um, and this is a film that he uh, has been filming most of this year. And um, we don't know much about it. They they released a trailer and they released a, uh, what is it, like seven-minute prologue um, attached to IMAX Prince of Star Wars. Um, and that, uh, I, uh, funny enough, Warner Brothers actually didn't release a synopsis. So even though there's a trailer in this prologue, we still have no actual legit synopsis or any information about this film. So everything we know about it is purely based on uh, rumors, conjecture, theories, and, you know, possible leaks and or this footage now. Um, and uh, I know, Mike, you also saw it. There was a teaser trailer released, uh, I think it was some couple months ago. So the teaser trailer showed during Hobbs and Shaw, and uh, it never ended up online. Um, they never even, the studio never even mentioned it. It was completely, uh, and apparently this is not the studio's doing, this is Christopher Nolan's doing. Um, he's the kind of director who now, after all these successful movies, can demand even the marketing be the way he wants it to be. Um, and so he's, he's all about this kind of secrecy and surprise. Um, and actually one of the funniest things is, uh, I've seen multiple people on Facebook and Twitter mentioning Tenet, but not knowing what it's called. I saw someone who's like, oh, there was this cool film with John David Washington. What was that? <laughs> and it was like, oh, that's Tenet. And then I saw someone be like, you know, of course, you, you watch this trailer and then you see the movie Star Wars. So then your mind is, you know, has to go think back to before the movie. But I saw someone else who was like, oh, yeah, there was this really cool action movie with John David Washington that looked great, but I forget the name. <laughs> so it's funny that people are like oh, aware of this movie now, but they still can't remember that it's called Tenet. And also because the, the trailers and the prologue don't like clarify anything. They just present these really awesome moments and make you wonder, like, what the hell is this and what the hell is going on? Um, so Mike, what, what's, I mean, what's say it's funny that, that, uh, they released a prologue for this because, you know, I, I understood Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, both are sort of pre-existing source material that almost everybody knows, even if they're not familiar with it. Like they get it, they see something Batman related, even if Batman's not in it, they just sort of know. And the word of mouth gets out because we live in a bubble, you and I, especially, where we always know what's going on in sort of film industry, what's coming out. We were excited about this tenant trailer or prologue. 
But, you know, I'm in an IMAX theater with... I went to a 10 a.m. showing for the IMAX, so it wasn't full, but, you know, still like a couple hundred people probably. And I'm sure 10 of them knew that this prologue was going to play. Maybe, if that. And I think uh, after it played, I would bet, like you said, maybe a quarter of the people in that room even could go home after the movie plays and tell people what they just saw. Like, it's funny to me because I don't know what they gain from this. I mean, there is some buzz and some awareness, but it's also coming at the busiest time of year for movie talk and movie chatter, uh, for awareness. Like, they're not going to release this online. It's it's really just truly a gift for the people who decide to pay for IMAX. It's, and it's, it's probably got more to do with the IMAX company paying uh, just to just kind of give a little taste to the people who come so that they can get some buzz going. But the buzz, like, there is not really buzz unless you are following or talking to other people who love Chris Nolan stuff. You know, I, I, I'm trying to get my head out of the clouds a little bit and find it, but I don't think it exists. It's not like the morning news shows are like, well, before the trailer or before the star wars yeah. movie was this very special prologue that we'll never be able to show to you and you'll have to go to the imax theater to see <laughs> right. but here's what happened um it was just so cool though i mean i really don't care because they don't have to market this movie to me i'm just glad they gave us a little taste and it was really cool i had mentioned to you whether it was offline or online i don't know that i prefer the dark knight prologue and the dark knight rises prologue over this if I'm doing a Ooh, ranking of actual prologues, but like yeah, it still gets me amped up and ready to go because it was your it very much felt like a Christopher Nolan movie, like 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 they yeah. all do, and it just reminded me that we're about to get a wholly original piece of blockbuster entertainment next year, and and that's very refreshing because although I love blockbusters and I love source material movies I like i love all this stuff i love big big stuff we just don't very often get original content at that scale and that's what chris nolan's so good at yeah i think actually that's um to answer your question i think that's why they're doing the prologue is that uh, they know aside from the fact that he's done it before they know they need to get people interested in an original property and um for reasons i don't want to get into on this podcast hollywood has an extreme amount of trouble right now making original films successful. Uh, obviously not, we see all these sequels and, and remakes and everything, but like to get people interested and to get people interested in enough to make a $200 million movie successful enough to pay for that is a, a hard task. And they know they need to build it up. And so I think that's part of their strategy. Maybe Warner Brothers would, would want to do more, but as a studio, I, uh, that's the studio choice. But I think Christopher Nolan's thing is, why don't we, as you said, like kind of toss them this little gift which then begins the buzz, but in an organic way, not in a like force feed, you know, here's posters and all this stuff out in your face. Uh, you know, I mean, did they, they release a trailer online, but um, not in that more forceful way, more in a like, hey, I don't know what I just saw, but this was cool and now I want to look into it kind of way, which is, it, it is an effective way to actually be, begin the buzz on it. You have to go all the way to the 22nd spot in the global box office uh, for this year. To find an original, uh, um, an original movie, and that's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Now, I'm not counting three movies that were produced by China, um, that uh, may, right. may may be original. I don't know, but you know, I mean, I, that's a whole other ball game. So, 
you got uh, you go all the way to the twenty second slot before it's it's a movie yeah. that's not pre existing uh, a sequel or uh, pre existing material. So it's a great point, and I think Christopher Nolan is his own source material now. Like he's that mm-hmm. well known across yeah, the board. Of course. But um, and and they'll kill it with marketing this movie. They 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 will. They just always do. Um, I'm sure when May comes around, people are going to be like. Why haven't we seen anything for Tenant in so long? It's, everybody does this. And then that's usually like right when the second trailer comes out. And then the last month of marketing is just nonstop TV spots and, and cross marketing with like the NBA and all this stuff. It's like, you know, every, no, just be patient. By the time yeah, June yeah. rolls around, we're all going to be just salivating for this movie. But if you are, if you have the ability to go to a real IMAX theater, a true one, the six-story kind, and see this in the theater, I mean, yeah, it's an awesome. I, experience. It reminded me how angry I am that <laughs> Say Star what? Wars that Star Wars didn't shoot in IMAX. Like what? Why? Oh, okay. I, I, the only excuse I could make is that it just it would have kind of felt like a different aesthetic. Because it does feel a little different, even when you're watching at home and you don't get, you know, the full screen effect of IMAX. It's it is different. I mean, Star Wars has a, a kind of a look that has been replicated across blockbuster movies, but when you shoot with an IMAX camera, it's it's, it's very different. And I guess why do it on the ninth movie if you've gotten this far without it? But boy, I just like if there's any franchise that would benefit from IMAX, it's Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Um... Well, the only other thing I want to talk about with Tenet is just the the uh, for two minutes the theories because it, the 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 um all that we seem to know is that it is a spy movie. It's described as like an international espionage thriller, uh, and that this trailer and this this um, prologue sets up a concept of uh, time and what seems to be at least from the our interpretation a binary level of time, either forward or backwards. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any other necessary control beyond that at least as far as we know and in the prologue there seems to be a glimpse at what's like what you described to me as time skipping which is some sort of um there's a moment where like suddenly while everything's going forward in this prologue suddenly uh, a brief person a brief moment goes backwards for a moment and we, we still don't know what this means how it works or anything like that but um uh, obviously it involves time reversal and forwarding and then the trailer there's this cool shot of the car flipping back uh, but what intrigues me in the trailer, and what I don't know if this is a deception, is the way the shot before the car comes backwards is the car forward crashing, uh, forward time motion crashing. So it's an interesting, like I don't know if I don't know if like they have the ability to in the moment make time go backwards, or if because a lot of what we saw originally, well, a lot of what you and I thought, and what some people have theorized is that these two, Robert Pattinson and John David Washington, the two main characters, are able to somehow be going backwards in time. While or, or it's the opposite, they are going forwards in time while everything else around them is going backwards in time. But in some of these shots, it makes me wonder if you can, if if like you can you can freeze yourself and everything else goes backwards while you go forward. Like if you like if there's some you know button or some mechanism they have to control that is what uh, I'm curious about. I think what's really cool is that we've seen it very often in cinema bullet time. You know where you can sort of freeze time. Um, you've got the characters from the Marvel movie or X Men or whatever that can like move so fast that time stands still. I like that this is sort of like a variation on that, but 
but it seems in in what limited amount of info we have that you can't stop time you can only move it forward or backwards and i think that creates an element of like uh, a, a a sort of lack of control that i think you see often in in chris nolan's movies that would make sense you know uh, sort of for the action that you can't control it you can only uh, sort of uh, guide it and it does seem if the trailer isn't being super deceptive deceptive that if you're in whatever device or tool allows you to go back and move around time and manipulate it like this that uh, you are going forward while they're going backwards and if you go backwards they go forwards so like you're in a car and god sorry for, sorry about that listeners i think i've fixed the little weird crackle that you were hearing but uh to finish it off i i i'm I'm really excited for this movie and the things I've read on the Nolan fans forum, which is where I started my um, podcasting life, so to speak. Um, uh, the forums always have like people who found behind the scenes things or uh, photos from sets. And uh, you can find a lot of cool stuff there. I found something that suggests that we haven't even seen the least of it with this movie. Like it is going yeah, to yeah. be massive with set pieces beyond our wildest imaginations and it's going to be all very real so yeah between that and mission impossible i think we're in for i'm sorry with uh that and top gun i think we're in for quite a year of like real stunts they better get the oscars need to get their shit together because this is the time yeah actually that's a good podcast for another day (laughs) but basically like if there's any time to uh, historically add that category now is there. And and I always find it strange that the Screen Actors Guild has a fucking SAG award uh, for a stunt award, but the Academy doesn't. Like I'm sure it's got the, more the, to do the, with the, unions you know. than it has to do with anything else. Uh, I just think the Academy is uh, afraid of it. Um, I mean, they haven't added a category what years, so I just think they they're and plus the the uh, after the last few years, the Academy is kind of in a crisis mode. Um, with our identity. Remember how they kept changing the show and they didn't have a host and they don't, they don't know what the hell they're doing. And it's a very, you know, and they have all the internal issues too. Like they need to kick some members out, but they're afraid of doing that too. And it's, um, I mean, what, they're almost at a hundred. I think this one coming up is the 92nd. So if they don't do it now, then I would say for the hundredth Academy Awards in eight years, they better shake the whole thing up and add a bunch of categories because you might as well. But again, that's a podcast for another day. I would love to get a stunt person on and have that chat. But anyway, let's get back to Star Wars. Star Wars. Um, uh, it is no. Um, how do I say it? Anyone who's ever read anything online is now aware of how uh, incredibly divisive and <laughs> uh, uh, how much everyone is arguing and talking and and i don't want to say discussing because it doesn't even seem like we're discussing Star Wars online. But Twitter is at a, at a maximum overload of. Star Wars hate, which is funny because that's exactly what critics complained about with The Last Jedi, is that fans were just losing their shit over that movie and what they didn't like about it. So um, in the midst of all that, I want to have a good discussion with Mike here about things we liked and didn't like and theories and some ideas on it. Um, and to start, I I really enjoyed and dare I say loved Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Um, I don't think it's perfect. I think it has a number of flaws. 
And I'm one of those people, and even on other podcasts and other discussions I've had with people, I'm one of those those who thinks that despite many flaws, despite many criticisms I can bring up, despite even issues where I'm like, this doesn't make sense, I still enjoy it. <laughs> and I enjoy it in a, in a deeply satisfying, moving way, um, where I actually think this is my favorite of the three of this new trilogy. And that um, I say that because uh, it moves, and the, the pacing is, is a questionable part of it, but it moves at a fast pace where... I get to experience all of that and um, experience the emotional core of what this new trilogy reaches, which is the the depths between and the struggle with the light and the dark in Kylo Ren and Rey and their battle between whether or not they can um, overcome that and stay with the light. And while that is, of course, the same with every movie we've seen in the Star Wars 9 movie saga here, this one... Uh, for the sake of ending it, has to address that in a in a much more powerful way, and it and it hit me. And I, um, for, of course, spoilers from anyone. I hope I hope you've seen the movie by now if you're listening. But um, the the Ben and Ray moment, uh, where they have uh, there's a couple moments, but the one where they fight, and then their moment together, and then of course following that, Ben and Han's moment together, really, it's probably my most emotional moment watching it. And then, of course, later, uh, the Ben and Ray fighting together moment in Palpatine's uh, chamber, whatever you want to call it. Um, and their battle and that ending also really hits me emotionally. Even though I have issues with that scene and that fight, I still love so much of that final showdown. And I think I love the, the deep thematic emotion of it then more than I do the actual action of what's happening. Um, but that's where I'll start, and, and I'll hear your takes, Mike. Well, I, did you like the movie? <laughs> yeah, I loved it. It's um, oh, okay. <clears throat> it's really hard to uh, make a Star Wars movie I don't like. I mean, even yeah, Solo, which runs pretty low on the Star Wars totem pole, is still really entertaining and enjoyable. It's just you know, in the grand scheme of Star Wars, um, it's on a different spectrum of things that I look for in life. That's, that's it. I mean. I can get into that another time. Maybe we've done a podcast. I don't remember. But as far as Rise of Skywalker goes, I uh, I mean, I really did. I loved it. I, I don't really like having the conversation where you have to say, I mean, this is not a dig on you because you just did it, but where you have to say, well, I liked it despite all of its flaws. I mean, to me, the flaws are flaws of ambition in this movie. And I think that that's that's good it's not perfect it's very rare that you see a perfect movie usually uh if you say a movie's perfect it's because you haven't thought about it hard enough but and myself included i i think that this movie moves at lightning pace but hey jj abrams um this movie has so much energy from start to finish that yes at times uh, you wonder what they cut or why they they kept the pace so fast but i was never off my uh heels you know like i was or on my heels i was never relaxed and i know some people don't want that out of a movie i get it that's fine if that's what frustrated you nothing i can do about it but um i personally when it comes to star wars and epic and action i don't think about rest and relaxation i don't think too yeah. much about breathing room I think the movie had the breathing room where it needed to have it. Um, particularly, I mean, where, I mean, look, where? well, in most in particular, the uh, 
the scene after which Ray stabs Ben is pure silence and acting uh, mm, without okay. words. And uh, I love that. I mean, imagine talking about a movie like this and talking about how fast paced it is and then showing somebody that scene in which the actors are silent, but clearly like saying a lot. And mm-hmm. I think this is where we run into the problem. J.J. Abrams is a visual filmmaker. He hired, or whoever hired him, but he wrote, he co-wrote this film with Chris Terrio, who is uh, responsible for two movies that don't have great track records so far. I mean, I enjoyed Batman vs Superman, but Justice League is one of the worst blockbusters I've seen in a long time. And people are reacting to Rise of Skywalker. Some people are reacting as if this movie's as bad as Justice League, and I'm like, get a fucking grip. Uh, not even saying ballpark, but it's clear that this movie was made by people who love Star Wars, who have a very specific idea of what it means to be a Star Wars movie. And it's the same thing that I think we see when we talk about like a James Bond movie, right? Where the, the, the new series, the Daniel Craig series, is the first time they've ever really done like a thread, a, a narrative thread really, that goes through the movies that um, are have callbacks and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's why a movie like Bond uh, it has such little in, in the way of like fans going crazy about what happens to their characters and how they're treated. Um, you, you get so used to that with Star Wars that you get a character like Rose Tico, who's in... 30 minutes of a Star Wars movie and suddenly she's only in three minutes of the next one and people act like it's a, it's a national crime when they don't think about the characters and what their purpose is and why they exist in whatever scene they exist in and how would this work if this was real life these are the things that writers and directors who actually care about the movies they make think about and People who watch a movie and react within the first 24 hours tend not to think about. And I think that's why we are where we are with the conversation. Yeah, and I um, I don't want to go into too much because it's not us and it's not our thing. But uh, I've seen that a lot. I've seen a lot of – the weirdest thing to me is the way people are holding this particular Star Wars movie up like it is the savior of society or – because it's not that it's the the most dangerous. It's funny because we had this talk, talk with, about uh, movie with Joker, how everyone thought it was gonna be the most dangerous movie ever, and then not only was it not, it was actually an inspirational movie for some particular groups. Um, but at the same time, and I don't mean that in a in a bad way. I mean like you know you can read about it online. But then at the same time, you look at this, and people are like, you know, the the Rose thing you mentioned, like yeah, she's great, and she was really strong in the Last Jedi, and I'm I'm was super happy with her character in that, and she has an iconic line, and she has a great part in that film, but it's not a national travesty that she's not in this, and like you said, it and and it doesn't represent racism. I mean, like I I hear this stuff, and I'm like, where is this coming from? This is such an extreme level of hate. I don't understand, um, and and that's all I'll say about it because aside from the fact that. Uh, a lot of critics that I've been reading seem to be coming from this heavy bias of they defended The Last Jedi for so long, for two years against people who hated it, that because this movie is so not The Last Jedi, not even disregarding it, but just it's not The Last Jedi, that they're 
think it's the worst thing ever. And they're rating it as like this absolute piece of trash. And no one with a reasonable mind, and I say that very clearly, no one with a reasonable sane mind actually thinks that. It's like, how, like yeah, I get it. You can be disappointed. It could be not what you wanted. I think there's a, a number of really fair reviews about how much – uh, from like Jermaine Lucier, who we've had on the podcast before, he's a hardcore Star Wars fan. I think he 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 actually was really disappointed, and he has a fair response to it. But other people's attacks, because it's not the Last Jedi, which is a strange thing to say, seems so heavily biased in that expectation concept that they aren't truly looking at this movie as what it is. And even if they are, they're overanalyzing every last line. Like, and, and I don't mean to say that this movie can't be analyzed on a, on a high cinema level or whatever you want to call it, but it, but it definitely is still pure f entertainment. It is fun, you know, and that's, I don't entirely agree with you on that. I, yeah, I know. And, and that's what, in my last podcast, they said that too. They were like, what it is, uh, there is more to it. And I don't mean that it's not, I don't mean that it's dumb entertainment, but then I'm like, I don't go into this expecting a Scorsese level cerebral interpretation of, uh, an examination of characters and their minds and what made them do choices. Like but I, don't I expect think these to see Ben and Ray either. fight, you know. I don't. <laughs> but the, I don't think but, these people do expect it to be that okay. much. What I what I do think is this: um, the filmmakers take these movies seriously. They're not treating them like they're a, a Michael Bay movie. Where let's see how big the explosion can get. There's a lot of really care. Uh, there's, there's a lot of careful writing that goes on to keep the essence and the spirituality of what's happening in these movies and has been since a new hope alive. And um, I think that what has changed, especially with the sequel trilogy is that um, we're in a time where certain corporations like Disney have prioritized diversity on screen as a big part of what they do, right? They want to have the most diverse cast uh, both uh, in in race and gender and in many times now sexuality. But I think where a lot of sci-fi movies have originally done diversity is by having a lot of diversity in their aliens. Um, now we're seeing that in the human form. And I do think that when you put uh, minority... Uh, people on screen in major roles like you saw with Rose Tico in Last Jedi and you've seen with Finn in the entire trilogy you do put yourself under the microscope a little bit because you know I I mean think about it that way for a second I'm 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 not 100% sure why they do what they do I'm never really 100% uh, sure that they cast Rose Tico um, with Kelly Marie Tran because they were always looking for somebody of Asian descent or Finn, you know, as African-American. Like, they've even said before that they, they weren't. They didn't write with any sort of actor or, or person in mind. But I think that they're very well aware of what it means when you cast somebody uh, in a major role, in a major picture like this uh, that comes from diverse backgrounds and what it means for the fans. But it also puts them in a corner because uh, the fans do expect those roles to be expanded upon each time, right? And then that's where I think people get it wrong. Rose Tico, and, and I don't know why we're picking her specifically, um, I, have, I love her character. I actually was really hoping to see more of her in this movie. 
But I was getting the sense from day one when she wasn't on the poster and she was not being talked about much that she might get a back seat. But it, it makes sense narratively, right? Like she's a classic rebel-based character. She's the classic person who delivers a lot of exposition and does things off screen that helps the main characters deliver on their goals. And I think there's reason to be frustrated about her treatment in this movie the more I think about it. Not because she wasn't one of the core heroes. I don't think she ever was going to be, even in Last Jet. I don't think that would make total sense. I mean, you already have a group of three. That's kind of the point. But then you'd kind of have like random new people whose names we never even get played by people who J.J. Abrams likes because they were on Lost, delivering all these lines that Rose easily could have delivered and been the sort of like big rebel base character delivering exposition. So I think if you're watching the movie from a lens of hoping to see the character you love get a bigger role each time out, you would be very upset about the way Rose Tico as a character is treated, especially when the first time she's on screen, she's like, oh no, Leia has asked me to stay behind on this one, which is obviously like uh, not something you want to hear if you're looking forward to seeing that character. But the movie's it a, already it is a funky. It is an already. It, it is an obvious line written to explain why she's not going <laughs> yeah. with them. But yeah. I, I asked, what, what would she have like? What if she's like, oh yeah, I'll join you. What, what would her role have been like? What is she? And I don't mean this in a, in a negative way. I mean this in like a curiosity way. Like, what does she provide to the Falcon and the crew? Um, she was nothing. A, That's a, not a, a good right. argument to make. If your argument is that she should have been on the adventure, you are wrong. I'm, I'm sorry, but you are actually okay. just wrong. It could never happen. It shouldn't happen. If you watched the movie and you thought that they needed one more person in the room every time, then, boy, I hope you don't write a movie. But what I do think is a very reasonable discussion to have is why uh, Dominic Monaghan and Greg uh, Grunberg – why are they delivering all this dialogue that clearly Rose Tico would also be privy to and could deliver? Why? Um, because J.J. Yeah. Abrams, they're like J.J. Abrams dudes, and that's great. I mean, I don't mind him putting his boys in the movie. Like, they delivered the lines well. It's great and all, but just like, you know, I think if you're actually going to think about how the fans are receiving your movie – those are the kinds of little details that do go a long way and don't actually affect the movie. They don't. They have no impact whatsoever on the movie. Who's delivering those random lines of exposition? But I don't think. But, I, but to your point, I don't think that would have made it better. Like if if all of those lines were given the rose, not only would that not have a made the movie better, but that b wouldn't have suddenly made her character a more prominent and therefore a worthy addition to this film. Know. You know. I don't know if I agree <laughs> well, with you on that, but we'll never know. And um, it is possible that if all she did in the movie was talk and talk and talk and give all these lines of exposition, people still would have been pissed off. But um, it is weird to just kind of have a random new actor just because he always wanted to be in the Star Wars movie get to deliver lines of exposition. And the last movie of all the movies kind of didn't feel like a totally fair shake to the character of Rose Tico. But at the same time, it's like, what the fuck? You know, what can you do? There's other, there's just bigger fish to fry right now, when I, when you're writing a movie like this, and and unfortunately, it, it, it's a shame that it happened. And maybe she'll get a 
Disney Plus show, but then it's going to feel like pandering and we're going to have a whole new conversation. So, yeah. Well, I, I think um, speaking of expectations and, and what we want about it, I think my, my writer who wrote the review for First Showing, um, uh, Adam Frazier, he, he, he explained it really well in his review, or at least wrote it really eloquently, where he was like, there's an impossible task with this movie, which uh, in no way, shape or form can anyone actually pull off, which is to satisfy everyone and everything necessary for the, the complete finale of the Skywalker, Skywalker saga. Not only do you have to finish the trilogy that, the, that, that began with The Force Awakens and continued with The Last Jedi, but you also have to tie in everything else from the original trilogy and from the prequels and the entire Star Wars expanded universe. And you have to satisfy casual fans. You have to satisfy hardcore fans. Because this is, it, you know, for the moment, who knows if Disney will do something in the future, but this is the, we need to get every every loose end and we need to have everything tied up and completed within a two to three hour time frame. This is the, the moment they have to do it. They have to accomplish everything narratively, finish this particular story with the Skywalkers and Rey and and, um, and Kylo and Ben, Kylo Ben and, and Finn and Poe and all of that. And also finish the uh even though again it could be more in the future but finish the whole concept of of light and dark jedi that has been at struggle since the prequels and since the the origin of anakin and darth vader and all of that and that in no way shape or form was any movie ever going to accomplish all of that that's an impossible truly impossible task and um while there are great examples of movies that do kick ass as trilogies and do it in a very different way the the most recent planet of the apes trilogy being a, a great example of that um, even though it wasn't the, the last film, I don't think was very successful. Uh, other than that, this is a, uh, 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 I think they, they try, as you kind of said a little bit earlier, Mike, I think JJ as a fan and as someone who worked on this, tried their best to do as much of that as they could in one movie. And that means focusing more on the main characters and putting some characters to the side and, you know, doing more of this and that and, you know, throwing in fan service bits and doing this and throwing in, you know, you gotta have this moment where, and, and, and not that all of it works and not that all of it is truly um, earned, but at the same time, you like, you gotta, otherwise, and I always think about this and it's a weird thing. Cause it's, it's a, it's one of these hypotheticals that will never ever be, but like, you know, what if they did this version? Well, this version wouldn't would make these people unhappy. What if they did this version where Rose is a main character? Well, that version would make these people unhappy. If they made this version with this version, that would make these people unhappy. No matter what they do, people are going to be unhappy in one way, shape, or form or another. And again, that's why like someone like Jermaine, who is disappointed by it, sure, he has a fair understanding of what he wanted out of it and didn't get it. But that doesn't mean um, across the board that this movie is a, a dumpster fire piece of trash, as I see some people call it, or or completely soulless, as I've heard some critics say. To me, it's it has a soul, and I connected to it, and I registered with it, and I felt the core of what I think this new trilogy is about, which is Kylo and Rey's journey and their struggle with the light and dark, and their struggle with um, not only Ben's redemption, big spoiler, but also... Which, which I have always felt from the very beginning of The Force Awakens, but also just with uh, the ultimate, and I know this is again from the prequels and the original trilogy, but the ultimate lure into the dark side and will you resist that call? Um, and, you know, while I don't want to say that I feel like the end truly balances the forces, they say, um, it clearly seems that that's where they did want to end up, which is, uh, you know, we can, we can talk about it in a bit, but that's... It is a monumental task, and 
even though some could say Endgame is a better example of that completion of, of a bunch of movies tying in together, um, I think Endgame is more fast foody, popcorny entertainment to me, where Star Wars is the more meatier, heavier, emotional. And not that not that Endgame isn't emotional, but this this is to me. I'm more invested and more inspired by these characters than I am anyone in Avengers. P- perhaps because, um, you know, I, the the big discussion about Ray, and maybe we should get into this, is is the uh, is the is she a nobody? You know, isn't she a nobody? And what does that mean for characters and 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 pop culture? And that, like, as a kid, there's always the idea. We always, you know, if you love Star Wars, you think you're a Jedi. You know, and you get a lightsaber when you go around and you pretend you're a Jedi. And even though we're not from a a Skywalker bloodline or whatever, and even though we don't have many Chlorians, and even though we're not one of the chosen ones in the Jedi Council, that doesn't mean we can't be Jedi. So no matter what, we're inspired by that. And that's to me what moved me about Ray's journey is that. Um, actually, one of the things I, I, I found about recently is that the comparison I've wanted to make with Ray in real life is basically a uh, same model, which is an orphan or someone who, um, who's like, like t- take a child on planet earth who, uh, when they were born, their parents gave them up, uh, and they disappeared and they were raised their entire life as a foster care child in various families and different people. Right. And basically, therefore, and this is what The Last Jedi and The Force Awakens both establishes, is therefore this person, their entire existence, they're, you know, maybe in their 20s or 30s, by the time they're a, a young adult, they've been, they, their entire life has been built upon them being a nobody. They don't know where they're from or who they are, or what they are. So they've already built their entire identity on that. That's who they are now. And then, and this happens all the time, there's indie films about this, but also realistically in real life, and then maybe their parents will show up when they're in their 20s and 30s, somewhere out of nowhere, or they'll find them, or whatever it may be, and suddenly they have to contend with that. You know, maybe their parent is an alcoholic, maybe their parent was afraid, maybe there was something else. It's not the same as, oh, it's Palpatine, but it is a similar kind of thing where, nonetheless, they have to deal with the revelation of who their parents is. But at the same time, I would argue this is why The Last Jedi and uh, The Rise of Skywalker both maintain the same ray, which is that she is nonetheless still someone who is a scavenger who was raised independently by herself on Jakku. That is who she is, even though she is Palpatine's granddaughter, and that she still rejects that at the end and maintains that she is Rey. And of course, the she becomes Rey Skywalker, and that's, again, something we can discuss later. But that, to me, is still the core of it and still... It's almost like people love to say that the, the the Rise of Skywalker throws out the whole nobody aspect, but to me, she still is a nobody. She still became Rey, the nobody, and then she found out who her parents were, and that she is still that person. That is who she is. That is who she was grown. That that's what she is. She grew up that way, and that to me, that's inspiring. I can still follow in that footsteps. You know, it doesn't matter who my parents are. I can still be inspired to follow that good as she did. Um, and that to me is, is the, the, the deep core of why I connected so much with this. And while I have issues with it, I still enjoyed so much of what Rise of Skywalker gave to me. It's a big chunk of conversation for you to, to, to munch on, Mike. <laughs> no, I, I, it is a lot. I mean, similar to 
any to the most common criticism of this film being like overstuffed, um, this podcast would be the same unless we went on for four hours. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're not going like to hit zero. There's like one more listener right now who made it to this point. Good job, whatever listener. I you mean, are. there's just it's impossible to cover all the bases of things that have been discussed in just three days of this movie being out. Um, feels like it's been ten years, but. Um, you know, whatever we talk about is just sort of the natural flow of our conversation. I hope people will pick up on some of these things and ask or look at our Twitter because we're really hitting them all on the head on Twitter, I think. But when it comes to, you know, really, what are we going to talk about? I do want to keep it more about the things we loved. And, you know, to quote our our Rose Tico to talk about the things we love and not just bash the things we hate. So I, I think it's really, um, really in, an impressive movie on a number of levels uh but to to stick on what you were really talking about which is ray's sort of narrative i i i i felt leaving the last jedi that the idea of her coming from you know an unimportant lineage was very cool yeah we talked Um, about that Yeah. yeah i love it I think it's a great idea. It sends a great message. But do I, do you really think that that message is deleted, is gone? It is no, no longer a part of our memory banks because the rise of Skywalker exists. Absolutely not. Both now exist. If you have a child and you want to raise them to learn the lessons of Star Wars, both are available to you now. He, You send your kid through Episode Eight, and you talk to them about how it doesn't matter who your parents are. You can be whatever you want to be. You make the most out of your own abilities. And look, I'm six foot six. My parents uh, never hit six feet. My brother is not over six feet. My uh, grandfather. Are you secretly a Palpatine? My my grandfather is the tallest person in our family that I can go back on uh, on record and sort of note. And he was six three. So my point is um, my height is probably most well connected to him, but I am still completely individual from my grandfather. Like I am not, I'm not only tall because of him. Um, there are other factors that uh, allowed me to grow even taller than he ever grew. So as Ray's story unfolds, my point is that, it, it it doesn't detract from the fact that her parents were still nobodies. Um, I do think they're... I, I wish we got a little more info on her parents. I was kind of... Uh, At least we saw them. I was we like, saw hey, them. I thank was like, goodness you showed us them. <laughs> right? I was hankering for a little more. But when I think about... Um, when I think about her story, where it was seeming to go, and now we took a little left turn and we added this bit... Um, I go back to like Star Wars Rebels, and I, I just sort of wrote this down in, so I could articulate it, but Ezra Bridger on that show goes through a lot of the same story beats that you see with uh, Ray, but he goes through all this, the, the, the beats that the fans wanted to see, right? Like his parents never get any sort of great uh, lineage that gives him this special power. What's beautiful about the Force is what Obi-Wan says in the original film. It flows through all living things. Everyone has access to the Force. 
it, it, whether you want to talk about midichlorians or you want to talk about it on a spiritual level, we all have the force within us. It's either being used by someone else or it's being used by us or it's dormant. But if you believe in the force, you believe that it exists, you will have access to it. And that's what I think is really nice about Finn's uh, fringe development yeah. in this movie, which I think there's a de- got to be a deleted scene somewhere because they were getting so close to really like giving him an explicit sort of force moment and it just sort of stayed in that really hollow realm of oh i can sense w- that some person is nearby well but i mean doesn't that this this makes me think we re- we recorded that uh, theory episode earlier this year and now i forget yeah. all the theories we had pre- presented but um I think one of them we had presented, and this makes me wonder. This is the idea that uh, uh, the the world of the Force is is something that will become beyond the Skywalkers after this, and beyond these people, and that um, there are multiple hints throughout all of them of people with Force abilities. Obviously, the kid at the end of the Last Jedi, um, but also now Finn, and uh, I. That was my thing with Finn from the like first scene, or I think it's the second scene of uh, The Force Awakens when um, Kylo stops and looks at him. And everyone, for four years now, everyone has blown me off. Like, no way, no way, he just looked at him. And I, of course, we don't really know, but my theory all along was that there was a, a feeling, and, and that, ironically, that's exactly the word that Finn continues to use throughout Rise of Skywalker, is there's a feeling. And I love that. I actually really do love that one moment where... Um, it goes quiet, and when he's in the Falcon, and he's and it's like, he, he says that line where it's like, I have a, and then it just gets with feeling. And everyone's like, oh, he's got force powers, you know. But of course, he doesn't actually have powers, is what you're saying. Um, well, it's funny because, I, um, sorry to interrupt you. The, the when I left the theater, yeah, I, mean, I when I left the theater, I I had mentioned I think what he was trying to say to was that uh, he knew about her heritage. Because yeah. he had mentioned to Poe after she went off uh, to the Death Star by herself, he had mentioned to Poe that he uh, only he and Leia know what he wants to tell um, Ray, and it struck me that Leia must have told him about what she knew about her about uh, Ray's Palpatine blood. And she was just hoping that he would be able to tell her because she knew that she was never going to get a chance to do it. Not because she was going to die, but just because they were going off and she was going to fulfill that destiny to to meet Palpatine, blah, 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 blah. But like right when I said that, the tweets came out about JJ's comment at that uh, Academy screening that it was was that he was force sensitive. And and I, that, but that I, would actually make sense with Leia because she can sense the Force and she can sense people. So maybe she right. could sense that he has, not powers, but has a Force something, feelings, <laughs> Force feelings. Yeah. I mean, look, J.J.'s not uh, – he's never been one to close movies or franchises. Like, he's a starter and very good at that. And that's why I think what his specialty is is sort of leaving things off screen to be developed either by other people or other materials and to be expanded so that the movie can stay fast-paced and energetic and always on the next goal and not sit and linger too much in the exposition. There is some exposition always, but it never sits around just doing it. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
and 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 there is a sacrifice in doing that where you do rely on other material but we're sitting in a world where there's marvel comics for star wars there's there's novels there's now disney plus like why do we have to put every answer in the movie why can't we learn things later why can't that be a good thing like i'm reading on twitter these things and then the comments are just all very negative about how you know uh, why didn't we get this in the movie and i'm like yeah it, there's other ways to learn more information that will make the movie even better and and i'm excited to learn more i feel like when the art of the rise of skywalker comes out in march we're going to learn a ton and when i get the visual dictionary in the mail today or tomorrow i'm going to learn a little more but like the fact that we learned that um, that the that opening scene where Kylo Ren was destroying those dudes was on Mustafar, like oh, how amazing is that? That's so cool. I, now I'm imagining this cool shot of him entering the remains of Vader's palace, and and you you think about how cool that would look on screen, but at the same time it's just like all right, JJ wants to move the the train along, then we're gonna move, and it's his movie and he's allowed to do that but um it just shows you how much depth star wars has and how how far you can go outside just the main path of the movie and i'm excited yes, yes, by yes. that yeah and this is actually uh something i wanted to say as well which was that a lot of the similar criticisms i've seen in that realm are that why wasn't this movie taking more risks why didn't they try to do that why didn't they go you know and everyone Critic-wise, references to the Last Jedi as oh, should more do more risks like this, and it's like, well, I don't, I don't think Last Jedi was as risky as people make it out to be. But um, the point being that uh, they have that potential. The Mandalorian is, the, I think, the first real example of them trying something out of their typical wheelhouse. Aside from Rogue One and and Solo, that's an example of them attempting, and of course the video games too, but attempting to be like, look, we have other stories to tell. We can do fun things. We can make a, a Western about this character and introduce a baby Yoda character and all these weird things to it and and have fun and do it. So it's also like, just because this particular Star Wars movie wasn't as uh, totally bold and innovative and risk-taking as everyone apparently claims to it needed to be, doesn't mean that they can't explore that in every other possible way in the Star Wars universe. As you said, there's comics, there's novels, there's you know a TV series, web series, video games, there's all kinds of different stuff. And of course, I know that people, I've also seen a criticism that says, I don't want to have to get in, into all these other things to be able to understand this movie. It's not understanding this movie. It's saying if you really think the Star Wars universe is truly worth being a good enough foundation for innovation and exploration, then you should also embrace the fact that they can do that in every other possible medium. And if you if you appreciate the Star Wars universe in that level and therefore criticize it in that way, then you can also attempt to appreciate the other creations they do exist not saying they'll all be great but the mandalorian again being a great example of them saying hey we can do this whole other thing and 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 have fun and be creative and be different mandalorian's not innovative but it's definitely something we've never seen before from the star wars universe and that's just a clear um not trial and error but uh we don't i think disney was like we don't know how this is gonna stick we hope Favreau has put enough effort into it to appease fans, and so far it seems to be earning the respect that uh, they hoped it would. Um, and to me, that's the great potential of the Star Wars universe. It isn't limited to one movie or one movie saga. It is a potential for the grandness of this entire universe. 
now that this is over and when I, I decide someday to watch all the star movies again, I watch them often. Um, I, I think that all nine movies will work really well together. And JJ has said repeatedly that that was his number one goal, right? Not to, uh, look at the eighth chapter of a nine chapter book and be like, Oh shit, that was the right thing to do. Why didn't we do that the whole time and just do it exactly like that for the last two chapters, which is a completely different book than the rest of the entire saga. It's good to have a little left turn near the end of your story so that we can take a peek at what the other perspective of this kind of story looks like and see how our perfect heroes aren't always perfect and how they actually have to go through something and how their struggles can inform the next generation. Uh, I mean, like, that's what The Last Jedi was about. The Rise of Skywalker builds perfectly on that. In fact, you get this beautiful scene on Octo where Rey, in a moment of distress, forgets the lessons that she had learned and only looks back at the original, which was Luke saying, oh, I should abandon everything and... and detach myself so that I can't cause any more problems. And there's Luke to remind us that he was wrong. Not that the last Jedi was wrong, but that he was wrong until Rey taught him the lesson he needed to hear. And then now he has the chance to return that favor. Like what a great moment. I thought that was a beautiful love letter to the last Jedi and anything that seemed like a, uh, a retcon, which is a word that I've decided I no longer will engage in. Um, <laughs> it is, is sadly, it is the correct word, but I, I don't, I, I, I don't, don't think, think anything it's, is retcon. Yeah, it's not the right word. It's not the right. No, word. I mean, I mean, I mean, the definition of the word describes what people think is happening. Yeah, I yeah, just yeah. Think that what 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 is actually happening is not retconning. <laughs> correct. They are misunderstanding the film entirely, and therefore using an accurate word to represent their misunderstanding. So. I don't want to hear from anybody who uses the word retcon because I don't, in my opinion, think that they have put the correct thought into this film yet. So there's just no point in me seeing that, seeing those thoughts. The I'm not saying that I'm better at watching movies than those people, but I am saying that so far I'm better at watching The, the Rise of Skywalker than that person is. So <laughs> oh damn! <laughs> I mean, I just, I just don't, I just, I just don't get it. Sometimes I think. Sometimes people are so mad at a line that they hear that they uh, stop listening to the follow-up line that usually is adding to the clarity of that moment. So my point is, I love that scene. Um, I love I, I love where the film takes these characters and how we get from point A to point B. Lots of very convenient placement, like oh, you know, they get shot down after a. a a minutes long chase in the desert and they happen to fall into the sinking fields that the same person fell into and died years ago where the only item that they could have possibly used to reach the location they needed to reach happens to be so it's like yeah there's yeah. some dumb <laughs> shit that only yeah. blockbuster sci-fi movies would ever do to you but it, it gets us to the places we need to get so that we can see the emotional and spiritual moments that make this film really special. And that gets us to Ray and Ben, Ray and Kylo, and that beautiful um, 
collaboration I think that those two have on screen. They share every yeah. moment so well together. It's electric. You start to want more of them and you, you, you can't wait till the next time that Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver are on screen together. They just deliver with gravitas despite being, you know, I mean, Adam Driver is obviously one of the best actors out there, I think, but Daisy Ridley is still very, very young in her career. And both these people are just delivering like true performances in what could otherwise be described as just a blockbuster summer flick. Yeah. And I, I a hundred percent agree. And I, um, I think actually the last Jedi strengthens their connection so much. The, 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 um, throne room fight being such an awesome example of them coming together and fighting, kicking ass. And you feel every moment of that. And to have, like, I even think if that throne room scene wasn't there from the last Jedi, then what we see in the rise of Skywalker wouldn't be as strong as it is. And I mean, that's a compliment to that, to how actually these films connect so well and aren't retconning. And that, that my goodness, their, their, their moments are the ones that really connect me, well, not connect with me, make me the most emotional. And I've actually read a lot of criticism where people are like, I didn't feel any emotions in this movie. I'm like, yeah, okay. I, but does that really mean that it sucks? Like maybe you felt more emotion watching them in the in the Last Jedi throne room fight, but that doesn't mean that these moments aren't still truly earnest, deeply uh, worthwhile emotional moments that we get in Rise of Skywalker. And that that of course, continuing what my theory was from the beginning of the Force Awakens to see Ben redeemed through these methods. I mean, I do have uh, issues, and and uh, I know we've already talked about this on messages, Mike, but for the sake of bringing it up, I do have issues with. Um, the dying revival moment between Ben and Ray at the end. It's, it's, it's a little bit like too much back and forth, you know, like, okay, there, he gets there, they're fighting Palpatine together for a brief moment. Then Palpatine sucks their lifeblood. And then are they both dead? They look both dead, but then, then Ben gets up, but then Palpatine sees him and then kills him with the, uh, or at least in theory, kills him with the same move uh, that he explains that he used, the Vader used, you know, as I was thrown, I will throw in you. So then you think Ben's gone, but then Ray gets up and then she fights and kills Palpatine and then Ben comes back and then Ben saves Ray and then Ben dies and you're like, ah, you know, like it is so much to me. And I, and I can totally understand why people are like, this is such terrible story. Blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, okay. It was too much to me, but God damn it. I felt them. And I was so happy to see that, that, that their hug and their embrace in that moment. And that, 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 that I felt that redemption. I felt that he, he had so much remorse suddenly. And I think that's a testament purely to Adam Driver's performance more than it is the storytelling. But still, I was like, "Oh, damn, man! You have, you're he's he's hugging Ray because, and maybe people saw this, maybe they didn't. He's hugging Ray because he's like, Ray, you pulled me out of this dark. It was her who pulled him from continuing to slaughter everyone and everything in his life. It was her who pulled him from that darkness. And sometimes we really need to respect and appreciate that." that love and power that people one individual person can have on one other individual person i i i want to go back to the ben demption ben's redemption uh whole why is that not a hashtag i guess it's it is it is people use it people use it a lot okay um i i think they handled that perfectly and i've seen some criticism uh that it happened too quick i disagree 
Um, I mean, it, it happened over technically over the course of movies, yeah, <laughs> three movies, yeah. But within the moment, I think what's so beautifully done about it is how he gets there. Right? He's obviously been torn apart since the beginning. Um, it never was really him choosing to do these things. He was being essentially mentally manipulated by uh, the emperor who had bigger plans anyway. But once he gets that clarity on what he's left out, right, he kills his father. It's clearly causing him some emotional breaking point. And he has chosen not to engage with his mother because he's too ashamed to do so. If he had done it earlier, just call your mom. That's the lesson of these movies. All of the movies, by the way. If Anakin had just called his mom and checked in on her, he he wouldn't have found her dying in uh, in a hut. And if if uh, well, Luke's mom was dead, so forget that. But if <laughs> if Adam if 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 Ben had just called his mom and talked to her, he might have had a little bit of help. But he felt betrayed by her, and then when he killed his father, he didn't want to talk to her. And whatever she said, I kind of like the idea of not knowing what she said or what she did. Um, I think that's kind of nice. We don't get everything spoon-fed to us, and I do think that might have just been a crutch of not having her. Uh, but I, I tend to think that they probably could have found a way to have her say something over voiceover by putting together words she said over the course of her filmmaking career i mean I, I i would be willing to bet they could have done it but to have it just be nothing if it be a mystery like the whisper at the end of uh lost in translation kind of nice and whatever it was distracted him caused him to think for a split second and enough of a split second to allow ray in her rage to uh deliver a fatal blow and then ray realizing what she has done and hoping that she might be able to revive him as Ben uh, gives him that one extra shot. And um, yeah, it's a, it is an interesting moment of like the, uh, and even Han follows up with that of like, right, you literally have to kill Kylo to get Ben back. Yeah. I mean, that's Darth Vader and Anakin's story, right? There yeah, always yeah, has exactly. been. And exactly. um, I think this was a fair escalation of that idea. And I think it was a beautiful moment between him and Han. Whatever Leia said was not actually what turned him anyway. It was step one. Step two is him seeing that Rey is so inherently good that she's willing to revive him, to use her life force to help heal him because she still believes in him. And to have that final kicker of him talking to Han and having that cathartic moment for himself as a character to rethink and, and relive that moment, right? He got to actually do it over again. Time yeah, travel it's back. Head, but yeah. It's in his head. <laughs> Time travel back. I think that line about uh, it, your memory was the most powerful in the movie. You yeah, know, you're yeah, just yeah. the memory. Your memory. You're the one still thinking about me. You're the one still uh, imagining my presence in your head. You want to be good again. So I thought that was beautiful. And, you know, if it felt quick to you, then I just think maybe you haven't really been paying enough attention or really or allowing yeah, the moment sure. to soak in. Um, yeah. I think that if, if there's any criticism to make, it's it's how nice and convenient it was that there was a perfectly intact and functioning 
uh, TIE fighter somewhere in the remains of the Death Star so that he could get off of there and show up to help Rey when the time <laughs> was needed. Yeah, yeah. But, like, the, whatever. The other um, – since you mentioned this moment on the, on the podcast I was just on, I, I can't take credit for thinking of this, but uh, I, I will transfer it into this one, is that someone mentioned, and I, and I really – agree with him as much as it is a criticism is that I would have loved to see Leia in that scene with Han. I think her presence um, would have been just as important and, and it, it clearly is because of the shots of her thinking of him but it, uh, her presence communicating with Ben in that moment would have done it. It's, it is without a doubt purely because she unfortunately died before they could film that that that's the reason she's not there and they made the decision I think to say we're not going to CGI her in or anything else uh, and so I think you know, it, it's one of those like you know fantasy. Uh, I would have loved. I think that moment would have been even more complete with both of them there to to have a conversation with Ben, but because they can't literally do that, it's impossible because she's gone. Um, I think this is the best next alternative, which is yeah, okay, Han is there, and um, and to me it is it is as impactful. It is because it connects back to the Force Awakens, which is one of my favorite scenes in that movie. I wish people. So I, 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 I wish people could could see that it's really not fair to to JJ to the film that um, they had to go forward with this without yeah without yeah. Carrie but, Fisher. It is it is without question an impossible task. And but I what think, else do you do? <laughs> yeah, I, you... I think you could have either rewritten everything, but it narratively Leia had to be the key part uh, to this thing, and I do think that. She would that that having her in the film would have landed a lot of beats that they still had a little better for some people who are having a hard time with this film. I don't think it's an excuse that that we need to get into, but it's just it's just a it, look. There, it's very clear that there were a lot of challenges in making this film beyond just like oh, we get to finally finish this thing we started. It was a must have been just an awful experience to make this movie. Yeah, especially knowing that. Um... And I mean, I don't want to say this was a deception, but sometime early on in the production, J.J. made some comment about how Leia is the heart of this movie. Saying that and then having to make a movie without her involvement in any way, shape, or form is a bit weird, but it's also, it is truly a, a, a tragedy that they couldn't, but also they have to go on and they have to finish it. I don't know. I don't know. It's not It's not worth discussing because it's like, the you know, if she was around, how much would different would have been? Well, she's not, so we can't ask that question. So... <laughs> But um, so, but let let's um. In I'm, I could talk yeah. about this forever, but well, I wanna I wanna talk about the two final beats. The the if you wanna jump into that, unless there's something else yeah. you wanna. Yeah, the end the end game beats. Uh no the the, the I am the I am Iron Man and yeah the, right uh, you mean on Ray your Skywalker. Left. No no no, <laughs> real end moments, Mike. I want to talk about the Ray Skywalker moment. Ah uh, ah uh, uh, yes and yes. and the golden lightsaber, which strangely is not being talked about by anyone. Well, why would it be? Because uh uh well fine, Mike. I will explain. <laughs> because um. This, By the way, we've seen point. the we've seen that color in the game that came out. Interestingly enough, yeah, but that's other than that, that's the first time this color. Yeah, yeah. I've, um, and and actually on the last podcast, uh, the, the one of their questions in the uh, beginning was, uh, "What color lightsaber would you have?" And I and I made the joke that you know I chose blue because blue is my color. But uh, I made the joke and I made the observation that essentially uh, it's funny how in the original movies it was purely blue and red. 
And then only until Return of the Jedi did the green come about. And then only progressively since then have they been like, oh, wait, no, we can have other colors. I think Mace Windu was the first. Everyone's like, oh, shit, a purple? And then, of course, um, for marketing – or not marketing, but for merchandising reasons, uh, you can go get your own lightsaber at the Disneyland and the Disney World theme parks now. Um, they've opened up so many, many different color possibilities that it's more of a, you know, personal capitalism, buy your lightsaber kind of well, thing. Well, no, they've only but, stuck to the major colors from the movies. Yeah, but nonetheless, it's it's not just red or blue anymore. Correct. Um, but nonetheless, the, the point is you get to this part of the movie and she buries the other sabers. And at, at, at that very first moment I saw it, I thought, okay, that's it. We're done with lightsabers. And then the very next scene is her igniting a new lightsaber. I was like, oh, dang, okay, what is this? And it's a nothing shot because it's it's a five seconds of her igniting a golden lightsaber, and that's it. Um, and then the, the the part of her saying Ray Skywalker. Um, so my first thought was, okay, the the golden the gold Skywalker to me is a more uh, is a literal physical manifestation of the Force being balanced. It uh, while while it's not necessarily a combination of red and blue colors uh, in terms of the color spectrum, it is a neutral version of red and blue you know what i mean um and it to me that's what she's kind of so one of the theories that um you've put in my mind that we've had for a year now i think it was ever since they announced the title is that skywalker and skywalkers would be a term a new term for jedi and the, the the original rumors of the Rise of Skywalker was that it would end in a way where they were finishing what the concept of Jedi and Sith and light and dark would be and somehow balancing or ending that. And the new era after this part of concluding these galactic story would be a new version of balance. And to me, this is a hint at that. It's a hint that there's no longer a red or blue. Those lightsabers and the other people, the two lightsabers are buried. What we now have is a a neutral order of, uh, you know, and this is me adding conjecture, not any truth to it, but a neutral order of like peace defenders of the galaxy. And Rey is is that she is she has a lightsaber. It isn't a lightsaber that says I'm dark. It isn't a lightsaber that says I'm light. It's a neutral lightsaber. And that, of course, then the next scene is her saying Ray Skywalker. And, and my beef with that I wanted to, to bring up was that when I first saw it, I wanted her to say I'm Ray Palpatine and to own the name like, hey, I'm Palpatine. I'm not afraid of being a Palpatine and I'm not a bad Palpatine. And it's my turn to own the name, which also connected to Leia's line, which is uh, don't be afraid of who you are. Which is a weird thing to tell her, which is like, okay, if then who she is is a Palpatine, why should she be afraid of admitting she's a Palpatine? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a bit strange. Well, can we do a little um, um, a little experiment here? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> you're you're going to be Ray. I'm going to be the old lady. Okay? Let's go. Ready? <laughs> okay. Just do it the way you, I, I you would like to I forget her lines, though. <laughs> no, but you're gonna, you, you know her line. You just – Who, Ray? You, yeah, just her last line. So I show up, I say, nobody's been here for uh, such a long time. I don't know the line. <laughs> what's your name? And actually, I forgot that she says, what's Ray. your name? She says, Ray. I actually don't know what the old lady says next, but something like, she says, Ray who? Ray who? <laughs> Ray Palpatine. It's oh, a, I get I'm going to leave and tell the world now. No, but but I don't think. Please I mean, that's. Pretend I did not show up. I am a good person. Him. 
No, but first things first, we have no, no wait. idea. Are you going to respond as Ray? Does she does she say anything to that? If if I don't know if in the Star Wars universe, if someone says Palpatine, everyone's like, oh, you know. I don't know if that's the case. It's kind of like Hitler is the only name that people can I'm, say. People are like, oh, dang, you know, like if you're I'm pretty if your sure Hitler, you'd be in trouble. But exactly. Uh, that's the point. Yes, but that was my point. It's like, so own the name. Show that it is okay, not a ba- but bad maybe, name anymore. Maybe not to like an old lady who's just by herself walking with her three-eyed right. camel. And and I actually told this to uh, Peter Serretta from Slashum as soon as I saw it, too. And his response, which um, was actually the correct response, was that he that she took the Skywalker name because she feels a part of their family. And that's why she looks to the side and sees Luke and Leia and decides that her name is Skywalker. She... It's almost actually goes back to that orphan idea I, I, I told you about and being raised as a nobody. Um, if, if that happens to you, it is truly your choice to be whoever you want to be in your life. You could be like, if you were raised by 10 foster families and you grow up to be a 30-year-old who's independent and you never meet your original parents, you could either choose uh, any of these 10 foster families to be your foster family or you could choose your own family. And that, that is essentially what Ray's doing. She's like, I am... I am now a Skywalker, an adoptive Skywalker by way of my, you know, arc of completing her, her journey into Jedi-dom or whatever you want to call it. And that that's why she ends up choosing Skywalker and saying Well, that. at the end of The Dark Knight Rises, if Robin had said to somebody that his last name was Wayne, it would have been weird. Because that they never had a connection as family, as, P, as, as like a... a, a you know, a familial bond. It was more of a handing the mantle down, right? So what I think so beautiful about the relationships that Ray builds throughout all three of these movies is that she is, without question, if given the opportunity, if Leia had survived or Luke had survived, they would have, without question, adopted her as one of their own, if if that's what she wanted in the first place. And I think, but I, I, I think I, that... That's that's where the conflict lies. Is really whether or not it it is an appropriate finish for her as a character to take on the Skywalker name when her whole entire arc had been up until that point really about her embracing her absence of a past, her being the beginning of her own story. I do think that there's a lot of credibility in the argument to be made for that line being more powerful if she had repeated what she said earlier in the film, but with a smile, right? When she spoke to that little alien kid on Pasana and she said, uh, wait, what? <laughs> um, the, the, the girl, the little girl asked her, um, what her last oh, name right, was. Right. right, right and she right, said, right, right. Uh, I don't have it. Ray nobody or something. Right? No, what did she say? She says, she said I think she says, something. I don't have a last name. I think she says it's just Ray. Just Ray. Thank you. That's what she said. Just Ray. <laughs> Ray but she said it very, but she said, she said it very sadly. I wish this was what she said. Ray nobody. She said it, she said it in a, in a pretty sad way. And that was the point, yeah, right? Well, she still didn't know yeah. the answer. Every, but every orphan finish, wants to know who their biological parents are. Okay. Okay. But. Once you get the answer, you go through the process that she went through, and she goes through, and she kills Palpatine. All these things happen. Um, I love the way that whole final moment went. It works, but I do think um, 
the way the film had been driving her character and her thought process to her, for her to say just Ray, but with a smile might have actually held a lot more power, long, long standing power for her character and what she means to people outside of the film. I think within the context of it being a Star Wars movie, this being the Skywalker saga, I love that it ends with her adopting the name because it's clear when she looks at the ghost versions of Luke and Leia that they wanted her to take the name. They wanted her to carry on the <coughs> sorry. They wanted her to carry on the legacy that they had left behind. And I think that's beautiful. Um I don't know what she does next. Does she start a new school? Because there's clearly going to be other Jedi in this universe, or there's other uh, Force wielders. I do think that while it didn't end the way that I had originally predicted with um, a, a new school of Skywalkers, I do think that she's... I mean, there's potential for that, but they yeah. don't show it. I don't know if they're ever going to pick this up into an episode 10. I mean... I would be fine with them doing it, but I, they're obviously going to have to take a lot of time off before they do it and see how yeah, yeah. how three the years. legacy three, three or three maybe four. <laughs> I think the legacy. You know, Disney of, they're hungry for that money. <laughs> yeah, I do think that they have an opportunity to just see how the legacy builds on its own. See if uh, Daisy Ridley really wants to come back to this role in 10, 15 years and be a little bit more mature. Um, age-wise and make more sense as like a teacher and then you know baby yoda this is is exactly what everyone wanted luke to be they were like oh he ended the return of the jedi he was great he completed his mission he he defeated the bad guy he should go be a teacher and then that's why everyone was so pissed in the last jedi not everyone but certain people were pissed in the last jedi when that wasn't what he was even though that actually was what he was they just he he went through 100 what it was yeah, I know, yeah. but I mean, it was like but, that's not what you see in that movie, which is what people wanted to see. But I, I also, you know, you can't forget they did have two other major trilogies in the works, which, um, according to reports, have both been canned. There was the other Ryan Johnson trilogy, which we have no idea what any of these were, but apparently that's not happening. Well, and they're, then there was they're the, announcing uh, in January what their plans something. are for 2022 and beyond. So okay. I do. There was think, also the Game of Thrones guys who were yeah. doing something, and they also got canned too. So we don't. Well, know Ryan what's... Johnson, we uh, as we understand, is still making what he's making, but they're not willing to verbally commit that they're going to be doing trilogies in the future. So right now, I think they're oh. just letting Ryan. I think in a few weeks we're going to get an announcement from Kathy Kennedy that Ryan Johnson's film's coming out in 2022, and I think that's that's that. I think yeah, that's going to be a that's going to be a great move against all the critics who are absolutely losing their minds over how they think it it, it spits on Ryan Johnson or whatever. That's going to be like a uh, uh, what's it called a, a peace branch offering to them. Like, hey, <laughs> look, we still like him. You, you think know, he'd even still though, be making even this total movie? Bullshit, they're they're going to do it anyway. What? Yeah, he wouldn't still be making this movie if he felt as slighted as some people want him to. Well, I mean, not that this needs to be addressed, uh, but all of the, the 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 claims about JJ hating Ryan and and blah 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 blah—it's total bullshit. None of that is actually true in any way, shape, or form. I guarantee you, and no one will believe it because they'll say it's all publicity answered questions. But I guarantee you that Ryan and JJ are perfectly fine, and they talk all the time. And Kathleen Kennedy talks, and it's actually totally. I mean, based on my knowledge of Hollywood, which is limited, but nonetheless, based on real experience, that's actually how it works. Like, everyone's totally cool with each other, and it's only people outside of Hollywood who who come up with all these crazy claims about, ah, ah, everyone hates each other. Like, that's not actually the case at all. 
I get in I mean um the, the the interview you referenced the academy one recently with JJ after a screening he he talks about that he's like again who knows whether this is real or not even though I I believe it is he's like we can we talked with J, uh with Ryan Johnson all the time we were collaborating the entire time we were that doesn't mean he came in and wrote on the script but that definitely means um I, from what I know once you're involved in Hollywood and once you're at that level that just means like the way you and I message each other is the way they message each other, except that they're literally working on the movie. You know, you're, you're shooting messages about, oh, well, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? How about this idea? How about that idea? What is your response to this? What do you think of this? And, and I think that's, um, I, I like you, I'm excited to see what the future of Star Wars is. I don't know what your feeling is, but I'm I'm perfectly satisfied after watching this. I, I the only other interesting comment I had is that um, after uh, so last weekend before going in to see Rise of Skywalker, I did a full marathon rewatch, and I think you did the same. Um, I reached a point where watching all eight movies and finally the ninth one, I just didn't really care about what specifically I was going to get. I just loved to be in the Star Wars universe. I was like, I don't, I really don't fucking care what happens. Like, I don't care if Luke is this or that or whatever. Like I'm, you know, if, if Yoda comes up and suddenly bad, like it could be crazy, but I don't care that much. All I care about is that you, I guess, stick with the rules of the Star Wars universe and give us a, a Star Wars movie. And what that means is of course subjective, but nonetheless, that was like, that's my thing with Star Wars. I don't, I don't have the specific requirement for it anymore, but I do still love it, and I love the universe. I don't love it enough to like read every comic and, and read all the books or anything, but I love it enough to be like, as we have been, you and I, Mike, for the last four years, constantly talking about it and excited about what's ahead. Not that I'm suddenly sad that there isn't anything ahead, but I am also totally content with everything <laughs> Mike, you always are because we 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 are always looking to the future. Didn't Yoda teach you every anything? Always looking to the horizon. You are. We're not here at the present. You should be. I am looking at both. I want oh, Yoda Star like, Wars every possible. six months. Not possible, Jedi Mike. I would rather have half baked six month uh, half baked Star Wars stuff every six months than wait ten years for something else. That's I I know that's not what people probably want to hear, but that's what I want. I just want more. You're such a you're such a consumer. More ice cream just, for Mike. I just want more. I want to live in the Star Wars stuff forever. Yeah, I know, I know. And you know what? They did. They did. Um, neither you and I have experienced this, but they did give people more literal Star Wars living experience by um, the Star Wars lands at Disneyland. Right. Uh, and and everyone I've heard from who've been there have have explained it in a very it's a deeply cathartic thing to to truly step into the Star Wars universe and to to um <laughs> to to reference Scorsese to truly experience theme park rides, <laughs> you know that are literally theme park I, rides about Star I Wars. I think I'll go sometime this year. I really yeah, would like yeah. to see. Yeah, Even my family went to Florida recently and said they had a great time. Um, and that it's it's uh, again, this is a whole other podcast, but it it does give me a little tingle of this is Disney capitalizing on things in such a greedy way that it scares me um, that we're so addicted to it and that every possible way for them to make money off of Star Wars is what they're doing. However, we are, I will say that it, the Star Wars universe and the Star Wars narratives within the in that universe are worthy enough of, of, of the admiration and love that allows them to do that. Um, 
I don't think they should capitalize on it to that extent. But we also can't deny that it's a, a universe that we love being in. Thanks, of course, to George Lucas in the original trilogy and what it was created as in 77 and um, what was Empire, 81? Okay, so, so, so you know, that is all the origins of it. And, of course, all of us know and respect that. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, it, like you, I, I love the universe, and I'm, I'm happy to participate in it way more than Star Trek. That was always my thing. And I enjoyed J.J. Star Trek movies. Um, but I, I like his Star Wars ones a little bit more. I mean, they're, they're, thankfully, they're, aside from visual-wise, they're, they're very different movies um, because that's the sake of what it is. You know, Star Trek is the naval dudes hanging out on the bridge of a ship, tactically figuring out maneuvers, whereas Star Wars is people running around with lightsabers and killing others. <laughs> I, I'm worried that someone's going to listen to this podcast and be like, man, this just made me hate everything about the Star Wars universe, like these two nerds not daring to ever criticize anything. And it's not true. We definitely criticized a lot about Rise of Skywalker. I think that's for sure. And un yeah. un Sorry. If you felt that way and you're still listening, then, you know. <laughs> well, Sorry. I know I, I I don't I what I've I, what I wish I could address and I don't know how is the people who I respect their opinion they're not heavily biased yet they really did not like this movie, and aside from the the cheesy dumb narrative moments that we mentioned and aside from the the pacing and whatever, how I don't know how else they can hate it so much and think it is so bad. Um, and I don't know what to say. It's not that I'm trying to change their mind or convince them, but I don't know how to address that, especially because I enjoy it as much as I do. And I don't want to be called, you know, for, I don't know what, the, what they would call me, but I don't want to be someone who's like, well, you're, you're being too soft on it, or you're looking past the flaws. I am looking past the flaws, but I don't see that as an issue. And that I, I, I'm not one of these snobby film critics who's like every film ever has to be graded on the same scale and because this film is crap it deserves one star I'm like no I, I think this satisfies the Star Wars movie in a way that I've, I've been giving it four and a half stars um, you know it's more it's closer more to four and four and a half than it is to, to five for me but nonetheless that's that's like that's how I feel about it and that's the, the, the scale on which I grade for this specific series and that's fine with me and it doesn't bother me um, and I and I don't know how to to try to get them to see more in it. I know there's a lot that you've spoken about where it's like, hey, I wish you would go into it with an open mind um, and appreciate what is on the screen and appreciate the moments you do like and that you do think are good. And while the rest of it may not be your jam, at least there's some good in here and take whatever little bits of it you can away from it. And I hope that that reaches people that way. Me too. And on that note, goodbye. See you. Good night. <laughs> yeah. No, but yes, I agree with all those things you said. I'm I'm going to enjoy this movie. My wife loved it, and it really means a lot that I was able to go to this movie twice with her and have her like it even more the second time. And I can continue to enjoy and love Star Wars with her. And uh, it's it's really it's really cool to get to share movies that have this much uh, depth in their mythology um, that they've created on their own, and. Um, I don't think they're ever going to stop building upon that, whether it's little bits and pieces with TV shows and spinoff characters or whether it's continuing this giant saga that they've laid the foundation for. I'm excited to see what's next, and I'll continue to podcast with you as long as they're releasing stuff. But in the meantime, we'll I think... We'll see you in 2022. <laughs> exactly. I'm excited for that announcement. Um, should be coming in January. So 
Um, I would actually love to hear if anyone has feedback, email us so that we don't get very many emails. But um, I just want to hear if you have a fair evaluation or response to anything we've said. I'd love to hear it. Um, but it's just the discussion on it has been really rough online. And I, 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 uh, I'm a big believer in if you really hate something, just let it go and move on. You don't need to express that hate constantly. Uh, there's a lot of films that I don't talk about all year long that I really don't like. I maybe I'll say once or twice this ain't my jam, and I really think it's crap, but that's it. And it, you know, if you really hate Rise of Skywalker, I highly doubt you're at this point of the podcast. <laughs> but that's what that's what's bothered me. It's like it's not a film that truly deserves this level of hate. Not that it isn't a major social or not a major pop culture item, but that it it isn't as bad as everyone is saying and i'm not invalidating opinions i'm just saying like it, it it's got a lot to offer and even even people who don't like it much still find bits of it to, to love um look i think it's fair for people to hold star wars to a higher standard than ever than ev all movies you know as as a whole I, I, if someone says it's a bad movie, I think they're objectively wrong. That's my personal opinion. I mean, if, if, if you think it's objectively a bad movie, then I would suggest you watch, here are the movies I gave one star or less so far this year. <laughs> Jexy, A Dog's Way Home, The Last Summer, absolutely terrible movie. Uh, the <laughs> Night Before Christmas, which has its own audience, but I thought it was... Whew, uh, and and Tall Girl, which is one of the most ridiculous movies I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> there's five movies right there that are, uh, I think, a, well, uh, you know, maybe some people Vastly like them. But worse than Star Wars. They're very much worse. I think a little perspective never hurt. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I've enjoyed talking about Star Wars on this podcast, and I'm going to keep doing it online. So if you're interested in engaging in a conversation, you can hit me at, at as in... Oh God! What's my Twitter account now? Eisenhubenauer at Eisentower thirty v two. Long story, but I'll tell you another time. Uh, Alex, where are you on Twitter? I'm on Twitter. As at first, you? as at first showing. Current, currently, the the enemy of all critics, but the, nonetheless still surviving. So, uh, see you on the internets. We'll probably have a couple more podcasts before the end of the year, if that, and then we'll pick it up next year. Thanks for listening. All right.